every group has a certain way that they do things. And every group has overarching principles that guide the rules that they create. Every group has a code of conduct. And some of the codes are written, and, and often there's an unwritten code too that has to be caught as much as taught. Uh, I looked at some written codes online this week and I found some remarkably interesting ones. For example, there are numerous pirates codes of conduct. Armity. Oh, and by the way, September 19th, next Saturday, is International Talk Like a Pirate Day. So don't miss your chance. Don't miss your chance. Well, uh, looking at this code, though, apparently there is honor among thieves. Sort of. I, I guess you, you have to have a way to divide up all the booty, all the loot. And then we have the example of the Mad Dog Motorcycle Club of the Philippines. Founded in 1994, the Mad Dog Motorcycle Club, according to their website, is an organization built on the principle of camaraderie and diversity, a brotherhood bounded by principles instead of borders. Since then, the Mad Dogs have set fire to the streets of the Philippines, Singapore, Japan, and Hong Kong. Here, here's their code here. The Mad Dog Motorcycle Club Code of Conduct is not meant to cover all specific circumstances. Rather, it serves to articulate the essence of behavior expected of all Mad Dogs. Behavior in terms of public image, safety, and most importantly, brotherhood. Right. But don't mad dogs just foam at the mouth and bite people? <laughs> Is that the expected behavior? I don't know. So I got to thinking, and I know that's usually where the trouble starts, but I got to thinking about us, not, not just Adventist or Baptist, but the followers of Jesus. What is our code of conduct? What is the essence of behavior expected of all the followers of Jesus? And what are some of the Bible verses that reveal this to us? Maybe some of them are coming to your mind right now. Certainly, Jesus gave us a summary code of conduct as his, as his followers in John 13. He said, a, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And Jesus said the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. We love, Scripture tells us, because he, Jesus, first loved us. And we're supposed to love each other the way that Jesus loves us. That's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Does the way I treat you reflect Jesus' love? That, that question gives me pause to think. This kind of love is an indicator of the new birth. 
and of the transformed life that Paul says is brought about by this renewal of our minds, or the renewal of our minds that's brought about as we have the new birth. Beginning of Romans 12, we talked about it. Do you remember the phrase we used last week? It's that a new way of thinking leads to a new way of behaving. And today, we're going to continue our look at these things that please God. These verses are, are like a code of conduct for the Christian. Not, not to be understood legalistically as, as have-tos, but as things and attitudes that please God and will bring great joy to us as well. They're, they're, like, they're like light reflecting off the facets of this amazing diamond that the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day, and Lord, help us as we learn these things to soak into our minds and our spirits and to really, really understand what you want of us. Because you, Lord, you, you, you've shown us what is good and what it means to walk with you, and now help us with these practical examples. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn, if you haven't done already, to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read today's passage, beginning at verse 9. Starts off with this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Not a lot of verses today, but there's a lot packed in there. And, and this, this church is, part, is, is our code of conduct. We're, we're going to do this in two parts, this week and next time. But there's a ton of wisdom in these verses about how a church community should function in order to grow and to thrive. Now, these verses are quite different to the ones we just looked at in the last week or two. You may not notice it, but what has happened here is Paul has shifted to imperative verbs, to commands. And there are almost a dozen imperative verbs in today's reading. So in this small section, and the one we'll look at next time, Paul is giving us orders, and they're all under this umbrella of the most important order of all, love. The context of the commands is love. And first, Paul recognizes that the primary mark of true Christian community is love, sincere love. It has to be sincere. The word for sincere means actually, the word is anhypocritos. It means to be free from hypocrisy or pretense. And he says love has to be sincere. It has to be genuine. It has to be real. We have to love with the love of Jesus. Now, it might be possible to fake love for a while, or to act like you love, but sooner or later, if it isn't real, you'll be exposed as false. 
John Calvin, often criticized or characterized actually as a strict legalist, he wasn't, but he did have some pretty stern things to say at times, and he had stern words to say about love. He said, it is difficult to express how ingenious all men are, almost all men are, in counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess. They persuade themselves that they have a true love for those whom they not only treat with neglect, but also, in fact, reject. Ouch! We can't be that way. So let's look at some of the ways that we see love being worked out. Let's start at the top of the list. First, love that is sincere. The first thing he says after being sincere and genuine, love hates evil and clings to what is good. True Christian love is without pretense. It's genuine. You know, it's easy in our culture to become desensitized to evil. We see so much of it uh, on our small and big screens. We see so much of it that we're really no longer shocked by it. And he says, love that's sincere hates evil. And to hate evil is to be horrified by it, to despise it. Why, why did Paul use such a strong word? We don't like to think about, we don't talk about hate very much. But why did Paul use such a strong word? Because scripture tells us God hates evil. And if God hates evil, so should we. He, he says, don't get comfortable with it. Rather, what we should be doing is fixing our eyes on what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy which is what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, Philippians 4.8. So he says, do that. I want to cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. Paul uses a verb here that actually meant to glue things together. So he says, so hate evil, cling to good. So third, uh, verse 10. Genuine love, sincere love, is expressed by being devoted to one another in love. Now, the Greek word here, other translations say love one another with brotherly affection. Some of us didn't grow up in close-knit, healthy families. Now, let's face it, some, some families put the fun in dysfunctional, but some are so unhealthy that they're toxic. And we carry that experience into our adult lives. It shapes us in ways that we can't even fully understand. But Paul says the followers of Jesus are to be devoted to one another with Philadelphia, brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia in Asia Minor, not the one in Pennsylvania, the city in Asia Minor was named in honor of a Greek king named Attalus II. His brother, who was king before him, named the city for because of Attalus' love toward him. And Attalus actually had, he had earned this nickname, Philadelphus, literally meaning one who loves his brother. Today, brotherly love is, is a bit of a watered-down term. 
but at its core, it means to love with true commitment, with faithfulness, and with affection. The full meaning is, is really not seen in our word, but it's seen in those original languages. So, be devoted to one another in love. Fourth, love that sincere honors each other above ourselves. Paul wrote also in the letter to the Philippians, in chapter 2, he said, In humility, consider others better than yourselves. He wasn't saying we should think of ourselves as inferior. He was saying to think about someone else besides yourself. And to think of others as worth preferential treatment. If you want to honor somebody, you don't honor them with empty words of praise. We, we honor people by giving them priority. Have, have you ever been talking with someone and they're always kind of looking over your shoulder or around and not really paying attention to you? That doesn't honor people that are right in front of you. So the question, who's at the center of your universe? Because if it's you, you're in trouble. If it's me, I'm in trouble. Jesus said, if we exalt ourselves, which is the opposite of what Paul is saying here, if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled, but whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. So honoring others is a mark of Jesus' love. Number five, love that is sincere never lacks zeal. The English Standard Version of the Bible translates this as, do not be sloth slothful or slothful in zeal. Slothful could also be translated in another word, idle, lazy, or, or irksome toward the demands of something. Like when you, somebody asks you to do something and you're just like, you just, you, you resist as much as you can without doing it. Now, I don't know if sloths are lazy. I don't. But they are among the slowest moving mammals on earth. So the command is then, well, don't be lazy. So about what? Paul doesn't actually say here, but likely he's thinking about having zeal for the Lord. Um, the, the true and proper worship he talked about at the beginning of chapter 12 and about having zeal for the gospel itself. Our world is in serious trouble, but we have the only answer to the human predicament. The gospel is simply too good to keep to ourselves. We won't, we can't sit idly by while the world hurtles toward a cliff edge. We have the best news possible to bring, that God in Christ, in Jesus, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. And he's given us this message to carry to others. 
God, he says, made us his ambassadors. And maybe we're thinking right now, seriously, Lord, if you want me to be your ambassador? Yes, he does. He does. And so he says, never be lacking in zeal. But, sixth, express that sincere love. It's seen in your spiritual fervor. It's seen through your spiritual fervor. The Revised Standard Version, RSV, translates this. That's an older version that's not in use today. It says, alight with the Spirit, on fire with the Spirit. And that's very close to the Greek. Our spiritual life is the presence of God's Holy Spirit within us. And we need to be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. What comes to my mind is the word burning. <laughs> End of Luke, little side trip. The disciples who had walked along the Emmaus Road back toward Jerusalem with Jesus and not realizing it was him, after he disappeared, turned to each other and said, were our hearts not burning within us as he spoke? So burning was a common expression. And that word was for something that looked, looked fiery hot or was glowing like, like metal coming out of a furnace. It's actually a passive form command in these verses here that means we're to allow ourselves to be set on fire by the Spirit. That would be a literal translation of it. That implies that there are things in our life that make us resistant. How do we allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives? Well, we allow it by removing the things in our lives that quench the Spirit, the things that put out that spiritual fire. There's maybe too many of them to list, but they're the distractions of life, the pleasures of life, the uh, becoming lukewarm. Are, are you on fire for the Lord? We're, we're called in numerous places in the scriptures to burn brightly for Jesus. Or, or another way of putting it, to run hot after God. I like that one. <laughs> to run hot after God. In the book of Revelation, Jesus gave us a solemn warning in his, in his words to the Laodicean Christians who had gradually become lukewarm and, and, and they'd become settled. They'd been con content with where they were spiritually. Unfortunately, that was not the state Jesus wanted for them or us. He told them he'd rather they were either hot or cold, but this lukewarm business made him want to spit them out of his mouth. Oh, but the word he used was the was a verb, emeo. It's the same root from which we get a word in English, emetic. Uh, you can ask the nurses sitting near you what an emetic does. Oh, I'll tell you. It, it makes you want to barf. Uh, when we are lukewarm, he's saying, it makes Jesus want to hurl. And Paul says, don't be that way. Keep your spiritual fervor. 
let the Holy Spirit burn within you, burn bright within you. Okay, allow God's Spirit to burn. Keep that spiritual fervor. Seventh, sincere love is seen in the way that we serve the Lord. This is, um, I guess I call it a reminder verse. I, I, I suppose a lot of scripture is for that reason, but this one in particular. It's a reminder that we are called to be servants. To live the Christian life, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But the power is always given so we can serve Jesus. We are servants of a new master. Our calling is to serve him, and he supplies the power. But our calling is to serve him with great zeal, with great energy. Maybe a, a better word for fervor would be passion. So, love that's sincere is seen in serving the Lord. Eight, number eight. Love that's sincere is joyful. Joyful in hope. Uh, Romans 5.2 in the ESV says, um, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God. Think about what we look, get to look forward to. One day, we will be in the new heaven and new earth. Everything will be set right. Ah, God is a God that brings joy. As his children, how can we not be joyful thinking ahead to that? Jesus' birth caused great joy in heaven. How much more his resurrection and our rebirth in him. Paul also wrote that the fruit of the Spirit includes Joy. It's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, self-control. Joy, the second one right after love. If the fruit of the Spirit includes joy, and if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are joyful, why aren't we? I think the key is to stay focused on Jesus to keep our hope in sight. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, right hand of the throne of God. That's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Never lose sight of the hope to which we have been called. Be joyful in that hope. Those who don't have this hope do not have true hope. But when we joyfully keep that in sight, that helps equip us for the next point on here, which is that sincere love demonstrates patience through tribulation, through tough times. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. John 16, 33. 
but he also encouraged them to take heart because he said he has overcome the world and in him so will we trouble tribulation opposition opposition as the natural reaction of the world to the, the gospel Paul knew that he knew that he said um, we need to demonstrate that patience through the tribulation um, Romans 5 a few chapters ago he said he reminded us he said not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope so be patient in the trying times keep looking forward uh, number 10 sincere love patient tribulation I've already given you that one it's faithful in prayer Prayer doesn't automatically release us from difficulty. I wish. But it does many other things. It gives us God's strength to help in our times of weakness. Faithful prayer also affirms our trust in the one who, who can turn the heads of rulers, who could part the waters, and who can carry us through the worst pandemic. It, it puzzles me that churches and, and people tend to revert to a, a way of planning things and doing things and getting by on a starvation diet of prayer after the fact. When it puzzles me because Jesus said that apart from him, we can't do anything. We can do nothing. John 15, 5. He said, he's the vine. We're the branches. If the branches don't connect to the vine, they wither. So unless we are figuratively on our knees more than on our feet, on our knees in prayer, that's often what happens. Nothing. I'm so glad to be part of a church with a faithful group of people who pray, who pray specifically for our church who cry out to God for mercy, who, who, who implore, beg God to work, who recognize and affirm our dependence on the one and only, the living God. By the way, uh, the, I know I've used the ESV a couple, three times now, but the ESV translates this, faithful in prayer, to saying, be constant in prayer. Ah, it says, steadfast, faithful, persistent, habitual, making a habit out of it. I, I kind of like that one, because faithful, we think we get, but constant, oh, that, that explains it a little. Love that's sincere, patient in affliction, in tribulation, faithful in prayer, shares with God's people who are in need. The word here, to share, in, in the original Greek, is koinonontes. It's, it's a form of the word for 
the same word that we use for fellowship, which is koinonia. A, a literal, there's a literal translation of this passage or phrase that says, it, what would say literally is, enter into fellowship with the needs of the saints. Interesting. The essence of love, God's love, is giving. God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his one and only son. True fellowship. Koinonia. Doesn't overlook needs. Especially those of the family of Jesus. It's one of the most loving things that we can do, actually. Well, there's one more item in our, in our code. Sincere love practices hospitality. Our New International uh, translates it this way, but the original, again, is actually a word. The word to practice means to, was actually a word that meant to hunt or pursue something. When I was first dating my sweetheart, I didn't just hope for opportunities to spend with her. I made them happen. I did everything I could to make sure we had time together. I even arranged to sit beside her in our carpool to SFU. I had to, I had to browbeat the guy who was sitting there at first, but, he, but I convinced him that he should move so I could sit there. I hung around after classes so we could walk together to the next lecture, even if we were in different rooms, as far as we could do. Did those kind of things. To practice hospitality is to actively pursue opportunities to bless others who can benefit from our kindness and concern. And the verb form here is in the present tense. It, it says it basically means it needs to be an ongoing practice. So we identify needs and we find ways to meet them. I'm encouraged by the example of our own of our Lord. God didn't wait in heaven for us to figure things out. He took the initiative and he came to us in Jesus. He came to meet a need, our need, when we didn't even know him. He pursued us. He pursued us. That's love in action. Love is one of the best expressions of our walk with Jesus. And these are some of the ways that we show it. And this is at the heart of what it means to, to live as a follower. But as important as our conduct toward each other is, it, don't let it replace our, your relationship with God. Because love to others flows out of our love of God. The, the problem with, with love, when you try to tell people about it today, is that in, it's defined in so many ways. In our culture, it's seen as something you can fall into and fall out of. Biblical love is not like that. Biblical love is not an emotion. It's an attitude. It's a practice. It's a mindset. We love with God's empowerment through the Holy Spirit. We, we can't do it apart from God. We can't love God's way 
apart from God's enabling grace. The Holy Spirit prompts us to love this way. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? After all, God is love. The Holy Spirit is God within us. Our job is to cooperate with the Spirit and to put that love into our relationships, into our practice together. And if we have this mindset, this attitude, then we'll act in the ways we've seen in today's passage. In, in a sense, in one sense, it's our code of conduct. In, in another sense, it's evidence of the new birth and the renewed mind produced by the Spirit. So given what we've talked about today, what, acts, what aspects of this discussion are the hardest for you? Well, consider this. God will change you as you cooperate with him. Ask the Lord. If some of these are particularly difficult for you, ask the Lord to show you why that is. And ask and allow him then to change your heart. <sighs> the Christian life is marked with joy. Uh, one author uh, many years ago now of a, of a men's group, of a, of a fellowship that met every week outside church, um, referred to his group as the happiest people on earth. But he was talking about us as Christians, the happiest people on earth. I think the joyful people would be better. Christian life is marked with joy, and joyful, loving service is the product. So I pray that the Lord will bless you this week as you put the code into practice. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your indwelling presence. Thank you for the wisdom of men like the Apostle Paul and the others who have preserved your words and done them in a way that is clear to help us understand not what only is required of us, but what will happen and what will be produced when we truly allow you to be Lord and lead us. That's what these are about, Lord, especially in the context of a community of people drawn together for a purpose that you've already created and designed. And so, Lord, as we do these things, we pray that you would bless our little church family. We pray that we would bless those around us as we live out and demonstrate by our conduct this new relationship, this new life that we have within us that tells people clearly we are followers, servants of the Most High God. In your name, Jesus, we pray and ask. Amen.